Amen, amen. Find a table. Find a table, find some people where you guys can sit at. Make sure you're not sitting alone. We have a few table questions tonight. Grab a cookie, by the way. Jake made some cookies. Hey, let's just give it up for those who uh, cook tonight and for the worship team. You know, I, I never want to lose kind of my, my thankfulness for just being able to meet. You know, the more stuff I read about the world, there's places in the world, a lot of places where people can't meet openly. They can't own a Bible legally. And so I just thank God that we can do that. And I know that's just why he's blessed his country. And so it's, it's amazing. We get to gather together, have a meal, read the word, learn, and, and that we get to be together. And so, hey, who liked uh, Where's Song, man? That's an awesome song. Where did a good job in communion. Actually, what's, it's pretty neat because where, I call him Steve Ware, our Dr. Ware. He stole the words right out of my mouth, actually. It was really shocking how God uh, pretty much said through Steve and what I wanted to talk about tonight, and which is really about honoring God and but the way we honor God is through honoring people. And he talked about his friend who is taking a Sabbath from Facebook. I call it disgrace book because you go on Facebook now and you get, uh, you get reamed. And uh, it's just a shame, I think, that people are treating each other the way that they do, all because of opinions or because of differences. And as Christians, we have to make sure that we're not bringing that stuff into the church and allowing opinions and things to, to destroy relationships and connections. But I'll, I'll be talking about that later. And, but I wanted to open up with this question is, what do you do? What do you do when you find out that the people in your church are less than perfect? Think about it. You know, there, there's, a, there's the honeymoon phase, you know, but what do you do when you discover, hey, you know, I, I don't, my pastor is not perfect, or my worship leader, or the leaders here, or the people here are not perfect. What do you do? How do you handle that? Do you find a different church? Do you just simply maybe ignore that person and distance yourself from them? Do you, maybe do you start a blog online and blog about how your church isn't perfect? And I don't know. What do you do? Because the thing tonight is that we're going to discover that the church in Corinth, the early church, they were very far from perfect. And as you guys may know, the church today isn't perfect, even our church is not perfect. But here's the catch. We serve a God who is perfect, and he's perfect in all his ways, and he knows what he's doing. And he was the one that made the decision, and he made this decision before the foundation of the world, that he was going to use us to be a part of his plan and purposes here on earth, despite, despite our failure and weaknesses. He made that choice. He made that decision. But I think sometimes we forget that. We, we kind of forget that when we start rubbing elbows with other people and when we start getting aggravated by other people who are, are very different from us. And we kind of lose, in a sense, this. We get, we get bitter. Or maybe we, we hold unforgiveness in our heart. And I think it's so easy to do that with our own brothers and sisters in the church, you know, because they're supposed to have everything 
together, right? Sort of. But I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. This guy was a, an amazing man. You guys should read about him. He writes in a book called Life Together, which is a short book on Christian community. And this is what he talks about. And I love the way that he explains this. He says, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, if on the contrary, if we keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, and he says this, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Christ Jesus. I love how he says that. We can actually hinder God from allowing this community from this gathering to grow because of our attitude and lack of thankfulness. It's almost uh, convicting to me because I know there's sometimes where I get frustrated and I see things in the church and, but it almost needs, my perspective is the one that needs to change and it's not other people that need to change. It's usually what I found. And also, uh, kind of as a joke, I'm going to quote myself. This is in a few, I haven't actually written a book yet, but maybe for the future, I quote myself, uh, it's kind of, it's, what do I say? <laughs> it's not there. Why did you take it out? It'll be my future autobiography, but I, I wrote this. I said, the reason you haven't found the perfect church is because you weren't invited. It's, it's kind of funny. It, it is funny. But it's almost offensive because if you think about it, once we start setting the standards so high, what makes us think that we would be invited to that kind of church? And I think that's a healthy perspective, you know? I think once we, we start expecting people and for, well, yeah, that, <laughs> there we go. That was, my, that was my street days right there, so. <laughs> I also had a testimony like J-Rod, so it was just like. The street days. That's funny. You'll find that in my future autobiography. So. <clears throat> anyways, I just think that's a healthiest perspective we need to have. We're not perfect. You know, we're, we're learning. We're growing. We're growing together. And, it's, and it's, we have to show one another grace because we're going to have differences of opinions. We'll see that. And Paul's going to address this church in Corinth, who were, who were divided. They were divided, and they weren't, they weren't properly honoring um, one another, and they weren't properly honoring uh, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And so we'll, if you guys want to stand me, we'll just read this from the text, and we stand to honor God's word, if you can. We'll start in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17. It says, now on the next matter... I wish I could commend you, but I cannot. Because when you meet together as a church family, it is doing more harm than good. Ouch. I've been told many times that when you meet as a congregation, divisions and cliques emerge, and to some extent, this doesn't surprise me. Differences of opinion are unavoidable, yet they will reveal which ones among you truly have God's approval. Let us pray. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, 
guide us and direct us, Lord, that for every person here, that they would leave with a message and just uh, a message of love and honor in the way that we treat one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul wasn't at all surprised the Corinthians were having issues. It didn't surprise them. You know, they're, they're meeting together, and he actually says they're doing more harm than good. It, it probably would have been better if they stayed at home rather than meeting together. So you can imagine how bad it could have been. But he points out this reason I find really interesting. He points out a good reason why you would see tension or division in a church, and the reason is opinion. He says in verse 19, he says, differences of opinion are unavoidable. It's just our human nature. We're gonna, we come from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different socioeconomic classes. We're going to have different opinions. There's a lot of people that like even different sports teams and very confused on which team they like. And so <clears throat> it's just unavoidable. And maybe you realize that when you gather at this church, especially this church, when we gather in the name of the Lord, that you've probably discovered that the people here are probably not like you. They're probably, you probably discovered that the people here, maybe they're very different than, than you. And for some of us, that's very scary. When something is different or when someone is different and they have different opinions, they have a different background, sometimes that's scary. That scares us because that's something that we're not used to. And especially as um, Stephen Ware talked about, we see this happening even more because of the political situation you know I, I can't wait till it's over so that things can kind of calm down but my question is how do we deal with that he says that these differences of opinion are unavoidable and but how do we how do we deal with that as a as a church as a as a gathering of people and this is Bonhoeffer he says again he says because Christian community is founded solely on Jesus Christ it is a spiritual and not a human reality as in the natural desires, powers, capacities of the human spirit. And when a community of a purely spiritual kind is established, it always encounters the danger that everything human will be carried into and intermixed with this fellowship. And so what he's pretty much saying is that problems are going to arise when we start focusing on our desires and our opinions and whatever it is that is going on in our mind rather than what Christ has established. He's, he's established a, a spiritual connection. And sometimes for me, I have to remind myself of that when I find myself getting frustrated with people. You know, I, the thing that I, I use all the time is that I, I remind myself is I, I say, well, has that person been chosen and forgiven by God? And if God has shown them mercy, so can I because guess what? I received it as well. It's that spiritual connection of what Christ has done on the cross. That's the only reason why we're here. We wouldn't be here for any other reason because we're, we're way too different. You know, I don't, maybe it's the food or the tacos might bring us together. But other than that, it's Christ. That connection, what he's done on the cross. He's reconciled us to him and to us to one another. Differences of opinion. They're unavoidable. Yet, they will reveal which ones among you truly have God's approval. A mature believer is going to recognize that love and unity in the body of Christ 
is more important than allowing opinions to bring division. And I know some of us are at different stages of this, but I just want you to know that love and unity in this church are the foremost importance. It's not the opinions. And even the staff, we have very different opinions. But at the end of the day, we're brothers and sisters and we're a family. And we, we come into unity sometimes. But what I want to do right now is I, I want you guys to interact at your tables. Um, and here's my question. What are some of these differences of opinion that cause division in the church today? Maybe you guys can talk about maybe some of the things going on now. Just what are the, some of the things that, are, that make people heated and, and that people aren't uh, able to be unified for? So ready? Go. Yeah. 30 seconds, real quick. <laughs> All right, 10 seconds. Well, this table said they covered all of them, which is very quick. They must be very smart, but um, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that, uh, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different things, politics to race to, I don't know, anything, TV shows maybe, things that you like. But the thing is that in the next section, we're going to take a closer look at, at what exactly the, the church in Corinth, why they were being divided, kind of the, the issue that was that they were facing. And so in verse 20, moving on, says, When all your house churches gather as one church family, you are not really properly celebrating the Lord's Supper. For when it comes time to eat, some gobble down their food before anything is given to others. One is left hungry while others become drunk. Don't you realize you're showing a superior attitude by humiliating those who have nothing? Are you trying to show contempt for God's beloved church? How should I address this appropriately? If you're looking for my approval, you won't find it. It's harsh. 
Now, in order to understand this passage, we kind of have to go back in time and, and look at some of the customs of the ancient world. And I thought this was really interesting. I was reading this in one of my books. But in, in the Roman world, house guests at a house, they would be separated according to their status and wealth. This is common practice. For instance, in a wealthy person's house, there was two rooms for entertaining guests. The first room, which was called really the best room or the triclinium, is, is a, that's the picture of that. That is a place where that was considered the best room of the house. Up to 10 people or more could be seated there, but it looks very comfortable. It's kind of like couches. They would actually lay down to eat. And so that was one of the rooms they were at. Actually, Jesus and his disciples, uh, they probably met together for the Last Supper in a room that was small and similar to that as they were laying down. Now, the other room, was, it was a bigger room. It was, it was called the atrium. And this is where the other people could be seated. And up to 40 people could be seated here. And these were for the, the other guests that didn't have as high of a status or social economic uh, background. But the thing is, is that what the Romans would do or what the custom was is that the guests in the best room would be served better food and better wine. And the guests who were seated in the atrium, if there was a seat, uh, they would actually be served inferior food and inferior wine. And so that was a common practice that occurred in the ancient times. But apparently and unfortunately, this practice found its way in Christian meetings. You know, apparently, you see from the, from the text that there were people who had food and had drink and they weren't sharing with the ones who didn't have anything. And in fact, some of them were getting drunk while those other people had nothing. And so they, they let the world begin to dictate how they should treat one another. It was a custom that was common in the, in the Roman world, and, and yet they brought this in with them into the church, and, and instead of treating one another um, equally under the standard and love of Christ, they, they brought that in. And this is quite serious because Paul even says, he's like, if you're looking for my approval, you won't find it. He was definitely dif- disappointed by that. And I was looking in Scripture, and what hit me was this verse in 1 John, because he talks about this. He says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love the God he has not seen. I'll say that again. For the person who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love the God he has not seen. And that is a picture of what we see in the Corinthians, is that these believers haven't learned to love one another. And because they haven't learned to love one another, they cannot even begin to love God. And if we think we can do things backwards, if we think that we can love God and and love other people, and love God and not love people, then we're in, we're deluding ourselves, and we're, and actually what John says is that we're, we're liars. The love of Love for God and love for people are inseparately tied together. It's something that I'm completely realizing. You know, I, I find even in my personal walk, it's a lot easier loving God than loving people. But as I've been studying and, and looking at this thing, it's like, man, God cares tremendously in how I love other people. And usually, the love for other people is a reflection on how much and how 
how much that person actually loves God and spent time with God. Even in, in my life, when I, when I start having personal problems with, with people, I found out that usually it's not a people problem, it's a, it's a God problem or lack of God problem. It usually signifies when, you know, I haven't spent time with God or, you know, I've been, haven't been doing my devotions or just worshiping him or just in his presence. And usually that's when I get more aggravated around other people. And so I've started to see even how my conflicts and things with other people is usually a result of uh, what my relationship looks like with God for the day or for the week. And that's something that I've learned over time. And that's what these Corinthians are, are struggling with. They're having a hard time honoring those in the congregation who really had nothing. And thereby, as Paul was saying, they weren't honoring God. They weren't celebrating the Lord's Supper rightly. And that's a huge offense. Paul's going to speak more about the Lord's Supper. In verse 23, he says, I've handed down to you what has came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he is handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, Take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, This cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. When Jesus says, Do this to remember me, or remembrance in some translation. He's not, he's not telling us to simply recall a memory or like when you open up a picture book and you look back on a memory and you think about it and like, oh, that was a nice memory. But when he asks us to do that, what the word means is it's an affectionate calling upon Jesus himself. And if you understand what meals meant to the Hebrew people, it was a sign of fellowship. It was a sign of covenant. It was a sign of camaraderie, of connection. And the reason why Jesus used bread and wine was that he wanted to use commonplace elements found at any dinner table of the day and use these things to signify the fellowship, the covenant, camaraderie, the connection that we have not only with him, but with one another through him. If you think about it, we have a seat. Every time we take communion, it's a reminder that we have a seat at his table in which we don't deserve. And the catch is, so the catch is we have a seat at his table in which we don't deserve, but so do others who don't deserve it as well. And I think a lot of times is that our focus in communion is usually between God and me. You know, a lot of times when I've taken communion or at different churches or whatnot, it's usually you focus on your relationship between, you know, yourself and God. What I'm realizing is that it's more about how you're treating others. I think that God would actually rather have us make amends and get right with one another um, than take communion and not do those things, thinking that we honor him. Because when we honor one another, we're actually honoring God. And we're, when we're dishonoring one another, we're actually dishonoring God. It, it's, it's useless. You know, if we think that we can come into church and sing some songs and hear a message or do communion and our relationships and, and we haven't been treating people good, then really we're just, we're just practicing religion. We're just practicing rituals. And God isn't really being honored in that situation. He wants us to, 
treat one another, to love one another, honor one another like we would honor him. And that's how he gets the glory. And that's how people know that we're Christians from that song that we sing. We can't expect to love God if we can't love one another. And that's something that is a challenge not only to me, but I think to our church. Can we love people? Can we love people that we may not even like? Because of opinions or because of background, there's a lot of people that you may not like, but God calls you to love them. And that's a supernatural love because of the work of of Christ. And Paul continues with this communion message. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For continually eating and drinking with a wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. And he's talking about the body of believers in that one. Verse 30 says, this insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. If you do not sit in judgment of others, you will avoid judgment yourself. But when we are judged, it is the Lord's training so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The purpose, I love this, he captures the purpose of, of gathering, why we gather. And he says it's, it's to retell the story of, of salvation. That's why we gather, to retell the story of God's salvation, the good news of God's love, his reconciliation to the world. He uses us, human beings, you and me, flawed and weak human beings. He uses us to tell a story. And when a gathering begins dishonoring God, and one another, Paul actually writes, we actually bring God's judgment, which sounds really harsh. And this judgment is not the judgment of sin, because Christ died once and, all, once and for all for our sin. He's not going to die again. But this is a judgment to call into correction what is wrong, so that we could grow in all righteousness. It's a different kind of judgment. And we see it because he writes to these Corinthians, and it's a strange passage, but he says because of their insensitivity they, that, they haven't, they, that they haven't shown to the believers who have nothing by not recognizing the body of believers who are, that because they haven't done that, there were many who were weak, chronically ill, and dying. That was, in a sense, God's judgment upon that gathering. And that's strange, and I don't really want to get into that because it's, it's kind of a weird passage, but I believe that pain, trials, and hardship are the, are the quickest road back into the fold of God. And God can use those things in order to correct us and to straighten our paths. It's not pretty, but it works. The kindness of God leads us to repentance, but sometimes that kindness includes letting us fall flat on our faces and make, making a tremendous mess out of things. I'm actually amazed how much God allows us to mess up, how, much, how he allows us to make bad choices and some choices that really can make a tremendous mess 
in our lives. But I also realize that there's that the basis of any loving relationship between God or between man is a choice, and it's always a choice. We have the choice every day whether we want to put God first in our life, if we want to put Christ first in this gathering or not. And when we don't do that, we act surprised that things start going wrong. But how can we expect the blessing, favor, and promises of God when he's not being properly honored and when we're not honoring one another? We can't. And I want to move into this next part, but I think this is the most important part of the message because this is something that you guys get to do. Because I think if we left tonight without thinking about the way we treat one another or, or thinking about maybe we, the way we dishonored somebody, I think we would, we would lose out on the power of the message for tonight. And this is a table talk, and I want you guys to pray about this. Don't just think about this. I want you to pray about this. And this is kind of what I wrote, is that I want, to, you, need to, I want you guys to think about, is there a person that I need to reconcile or to make amends to because I didn't properly honor that person according to the standard of, of Christ's love? And I put that verse from James in where it says, God resists you when you're proud, but continually pours out grace when you're humble. And so I just want to take a few minutes. I just want to pray about it. This is something I did earlier today. I was like asking God, you know, is there anybody I need to make amends to? Anybody that, any bitterness or anything I'm holding on to? Because I want to make sure that I honor you by honoring people. And so just sit at your tables for a minute. Think about that, and if you have something, you can talk to those around you. But I want to give you guys some time before I, I close the message tonight. So go ahead. <clears throat>
About one minute, one minute. All right, you guys, you guys can wrap that up. <clears throat> there might be a lot, depending on the person here. Might be a lot of that. But this comes straight from the 12-step meeting, and this is something that is it's one, one of the steps, and it's so important because I think the 12-step steps get it, and a lot of times uh, the congregation, we don't. And this is so important because I realize, is, um, you know, when Moses was in the presence of God, he, he, he removed his sandals. And if you think about that, it's the, the sandals represent the dirt, the grime, just the filthiness that he had been walking in. Maybe the doo-doo, as in if you listen to Jeff's message. That, that he had been, wa- he'd been walking in. But when he was in the presence of the Lord, he, he had a, those, things had a, those things had to go. Those things had to, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't bring that in the presence of the Lord. And I think in, in the same way, kind of as a metaphor, when we come to church, when we come to worship God, when we do these things, we want to make sure that whatever we've been stepping in in the week, that that doesn't come into play here in a sense of that we come in here and we get right with God. We get right with one another before we even worship, before we do these things. And it's just something, you know, and it's something that is hard because, you know, we don't, as humans, we don't want to do our dirty laundry. But it's something that is very important to God. And even in his word, it says we stand under judgment if we if we do that if we're continuing to do that and so it might seem like a hard word but god wants us to live in freedom he wants to li- wants us to live in forgiveness and it's just important that we that we do that and so i just want to end with this last verse and then wrap up tonight it says so then my fellow believers when you assemble as you share a meal show respect show respect for one another and wait for all to be served if you're that hungry Eat at home first, so that when you gather together, you will not bring judgment upon yourself. When I come to you, I will answer the other questions you have asked me in your letter. So regardless of opinion, regardless of status, God wants us to honor one another. Jesus died not only to reconcile us to the Father, but reconcile us to one another. And sometimes that can be difficult and painful. That's something that we need to remember every time we come to the Lord's table. And I'll just end with this last quote by Bonhoeffer. He says, the more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede, the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. Let us pray.
God, I pray even now, Lord, that if there's opinions, if there's just things that our mind is wrapped up, that you just release us from that. Things that we just get caught up with, Lord, in this world. Lord, I pray that we would just, you bring to the forefront, God, the covenant relationship you have with us. And how we need to do that with one another, Lord. I pray that you would train us, Lord, teach us how, how to love people we don't even like. How to love people that we may not even get or understand or they, they just seem so different from us, Lord. Teach us this supernatural love, God. Implant that in our hearts, God. And let us be salt and light to this world, God. This world who's divided. A world that doesn't know how to love somebody who doesn't agree with them, Lord. But that's not what you want this church to be. And so, Lord, I just pray just blessing upon us all as we go out into the, into the world, our workplace, the schools, or wherever we're at, Lord, that we can just be a blessing to people, Lord, and that we can shine your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Like all God's people said, amen.